Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie, gonna be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, me and me. All right, top story of the day. Criminals, thugs, savages, organized crime according to the authorities to do what? Steal money from churches all across the United States of America. This story comes out of a place called Fayette County, Georgia. Let's put up their pictures full mass. Okay, from left to right, top to bottom. Morales Rodriguez, Roden, Jose Guerrero, Pedro Camillo, and Arian Aguilar, as well as Roberto Morodo and Gonzalez. According to the Fayette County Sheriff's Office, deputies have busted a nationwide theft ring targeting donations, congregations mailed in. In all, 36 churches were victimized just in Fayette County, Georgia alone. They took more than $150,000 according to the report. Fayette County Sheriff Barry Babb said the ring operates out of Texas, Texas, and went to Metro Atlanta to steal offering checks out of a church or out of church mailboxes during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, remember the why, okay? Why are they going into these mailboxes? Because of COVID-19 having a cause and effect dynamic as it relates to contributions. The majority of operations either stopped or significantly decreased, even churches. How did churches still get money? Members were told to mail it in. So according to the narrative, this operation was so sophisticated that basically these people targeted churches where they knew or at least had a very strong indication that members were mailing in money. Now, I'm very clear on my linear logic here, as well as integrity. I do not like preachers that steal money from members of their churches. I have blasted those ministers on this show many times. As a matter of fact, one of those ministers continues to post about me on his Instagram page. I'm good with that. Just like I don't like preachers stealing money from members of a congregation, I do not like anyone stealing money from individuals who have given the money for one particular issue or to a facility or ministry. Now there's more, Fayette County deputies said law enforcement arrested three people from Houston. They have also identified and are looking for three more suspects. We have shown you those pictures. They say this ring has as many as 17 members who have now stolen $1.5 million from churches in 14 states. That is what they have for the record currently. Those states include the state of Georgia. The sheriff said the churches in Fayette County were robbed of $154,000 in checks and were deposited at a Houston area ATM or ATMs. Now here's another dynamic that doesn't make sense to me. 
obviously when you write a check to a church, you put the church's name on the check. That's how checks work. How were they cashing in on checks not written to them, but written to another business? That has yet to be determined as far as how the, how the operation was sustained. If there's an inside individual or not, or maybe a loophole in the system of the deposits they were making and able to benefit from. Based on the information current, this has been going on for a few years, which means they took advantage of a tragedy, COVID-19. And this is why it's important for us to highlight this. This is money being stolen from people in this country. It's theft, it is felony theft. Most states would determine that felony theft is anything over $250 or more. Clearly a felony operation. Have you heard Republican lawmakers who typically are aligned with many of these churches. Have you heard Republican lawmakers create legislation, propose legislation, hold a press conference, say something on the record policy wise or, or legislation wise in order to address this issue? I guarantee you this operation is not the only one. These are not the only people who decided to take advantage of desperation, a bad situation and church members who gave their money in good faith, guarantee you that. So let's be clear, no legislation, no policy, no remedy, no solution. Let's just say it's a crime, arrest them, and that is it. This deserves at least a policy remedy. We will continue to bring you the updates as I believe way more than 17 people are actually involved. All right. Exclusive update, remember Ms. Dunlap, okay? She was physically assaulted by law enforcement, had committed no crime. We now have the other video they did not want us to have initially. Here it is. Because you're grabbing my arm very okay. tightly. Okay, now you're hang on. grabbing my arm very let, let her go, she ain't going nowhere now. Look. Let me go. Okay. And now. I'll get the Okay, step back. Don't and let start. Right okay, there. okay, it now sure is. Okay, now and step you're out not the car. getting it because I know I haven't did it. Okay, let's step out the car. Okay. How many times have I asked you not? Please to? let go of me. Stop. What are you doing? Let go of me. Let go of me. Let go of me because I haven't did anything. Okay, stop. Stop resisting. Stop resisting. Ma'am, stop phone. resisting. Give me my phone. Ma'am, stop. Give me my phone. Stop resisting. Y'all are hurting me. Okay, stop. Y'all are hurting me. Don't let me go so I can throw up. I'm going to let you go. Okay, dude, let me go so stop. I can throw the up. I'm holding you up. I don't need you to oh, hold me up. Oh, my Why God. Why are you doing this? Ooh, why are y'all doing this? You started with me! For nothing! You came over here with me! What am I being charged with? We are investigating you trespassing on this property. But I'm not. Okay. And you have resisted, delayed, and obstructed our investigation. Okay? And resisted while Sorry, we were you trying to get you out of the car. Okay? I do not. She never was charged. She never was taken to the jail. 
she was cited on the scene, not charged, but cited by law enforcement for resisting arrest, even though she was not under arrest. How does that work? Remember, she was not trespassing. She was there because she's a property manager for that private property. She was supposed to be there. Now, later, the spin of their story was they were looking for a suspect. They never said the suspect matched her description. They, according to the post narrative, simply wanted to know if she knew anything about the mysterious suspect they were looking for. But did you hear that in the video? Remember, I read that report in our previous story about this, and it was very clear that this was a spin to the original story. If they were actually trying to find out if she knew somebody, which is insane to treat a citizen in that manner. If they were actually trying to find out if she knew somebody, why did they not ask her? She did nothing illegal, she was not trespassing, she was doing her job, she was on property that was private and she had access to. Guess what, based on the laws of that state, the police officers are the ones who trespassed illegally. Yes, the police officers are the one who physically assaulted her illegally. And the police officers are the one who in violation of civil statute and in violation of court rulings, they said she had to show ID. It is not a stop and ID state, she committed no crime, she was right. Remember on the show, she told us this happened to her and many did not believe her. Here's what she said. After they were trying to put me in handcuffs, the one detective that you see actually on my recording, she was trying to take my phone out my hand. So it was literally, she's literally trying to wrestle me to take my phone out my hand to stop my recording. They put me in handcuffs, threw me up against the trunk of the car. And after that, I started hyperventilating so bad that I started vomiting. She was panicking, she was panicking as many of us would do in a situation like that on our jobs. There was no reason for her to have an interaction with law enforcement. They had no justification for it whatsoever. Let's put a picture up, okay? Now, remember, Miss Jelana Dunlap was not charged with a crime, was yanked from her car, slammed against her own truck, handcuffed, she hyperventilated. She vomited, the body cam confirms everything she said in our exclusive interview right here on Indisputable. Ms. Dunlap was taking photos of trash on a field for her employer, a property manager as well. She told the police this when they questioned her. Attorney Harry Daniels, civil rights attorney spoke with Indisputable directly, said and I quote, I think what it boils down to is these were overzealous, intimidating law enforcement officers who on a rural road in Fayetteville, North Carolina, assaulted and intimidated this young lady. She refused to give her ID, she already identified herself. But North Carolina is not a stop and identify state according to attorney Harry Daniel. We confirmed he is correct. Here's the body cam footage of the female detective, now watch this. The female detective, her name is Amanda Bell. Officer Bell becomes angry when she learned that Miss Dunlap 
complained about the treatment. Here it is. She's not upset at the situation, she's more upset, unfortunately, at Bell than anybody else. And how, how she was removed from the vehicle. Oh, you had your camera on there, right? Yeah, right. don't worry about that. I get a, a full frontal shot, all right? Okay, here are your car keys. Do you need anything else from me, ma'am? Okay, now, I would say be careful driving out because they're at home. They're letting her go. They're letting her go, no charges, no resisting arrest. I thought that's what you said she did, resisted arrest. Where's the obstruction of justice charge? When the supervising officer came, the supervising officer said, you gotta let her go. She did nothing wrong, she did nothing illegal, okay? Um, let's put up the steal of Detective Bell, who was grabbing Miss Dunlap by the forearm. And this was while Miss Dunlap was still in her seat belt. A public information officer, officer from the Fayetteville Police Department issued a statement and it goes like this. On September 6th, members of Fayetteville Police Department's violent criminal apprehension team attempted to serve arrest warrants for Joshua Page for assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill inflicting serious injury, first degree kidnapping and felony conspiracy. During this, Page ran from officers into the wooded area in the neighborhood located near Thorndike Drive. Officers began canvassing the neighborhood when they observed Miss Dunlap's vehicle, full stop. If you are looking for such a dangerous person, Fayetteville police, if you're looking for such a violent criminal, and you see a young black woman who's on her job by herself, not knowing what's going on. Why did you not act in a manner to protect the innocent civilian who could have been in danger rather than treating her as a criminal in your pursuit of another criminal that you proclaim on the record? Why did you treat her that way? Why did you treat her like she matched the description of a male that you were looking for? It's utterly ridiculous to suggest that somehow they should be justified in their actions due to an unrelated situation. If anything, if anything, she should have been protected. Think about it in this context. A young white woman working at her job, she's a property manager. There's a dangerous person on the perimeter somewhere, maybe on the property, maybe not. And they see this person, do you think they treat the young white female the same way they treated her. There's more. Let's put up the team that she has now obtained. Ms. Dunlap's legal team includes civil rights attorney Harry Daniels on the left and Carnell Johnson on the right. Daniels refuted the department's explanation for Dunlap's harsh treatment by saying, and I quote, it absolutely was a cover, meaning a cover story. And there's no report of anything. They have filed. Uh, an information request, no report of this. But even if that wasn't a cover, they still violated the rule of law. They established who this girl was and was not the person they were looking for, period. They knew she was not the person. You know what this came down to? Let's put this person in their place. Let's make an example out of this person. You mean to tell me, detective, 
officer, sergeant, supervisor, that you were in pursuit of a dangerous criminal based on your own words from the police department. You were in pursuit of a dangerous criminal and you stopped that pursuit to harass a property manager who had nothing to do with a criminal act whatsoever. You paused your entire day in order to do this. It is insane. But once again, the bias continues to permeate. We will follow this story as the lawsuit goes forth. Listen, there's a horrible police chief in a place called Riverdale, Georgia. Let me highlight the ways here. Put up his picture for mass. There's a lot. Riverdale City Council was packed with attendees on October 24th, concerned about police misconduct reported by indisputable. Many were turned away from the meeting. And the prior city council meeting was actually canceled after our initial reporting of problematic issues inside of this police department. Riverdale City Council and the police chief have not responded to our multiple requests for comment. The police chief, his name is Todd Spivey, all right? Mr. Spivey, we have some information here, sir. Let's put it up, Clayton County Police Report. Indisputable received more than 100 pages of an internal investigations report about the chief of police for Riverdale, Georgia, Chief Spivey, who was a detective for Clayton County, Georgia. Riverdale being a city is inside of Clayton County. Details of the scandal from the report include Spivey, the chief violated police conduct by having an ongoing sexual relationship with a victim in his theft investigation as a Clayton County police detective. He was also married at the time. The report also documents that he lied to investigators about seeing the woman while on duty and had sex in his county car. The victim from Chief Spivey's investigation became pregnant. When the victim was four months pregnant, her sister alleged Chief Spivey emotionally abused her complicating her high risk pregnancy. Chief Spivey admits to grabbing the woman, pushing her and may have struck her with a door leaving a bruise. This is from an official document from Clayton County Police Department. The report also says that Chief Spivey threatened to kill himself before he would ever pay for child support. Where's the source? Clayton County Police Department once again. So you mean to tell me? that you can have this kind of egregious background. It is documented, it is on the record. It is clearly available under the Public Information Act. And he does not get demoted, he doesn't get fired, he doesn't get arrested. He becomes chief of police in a city inside of that same county. But there's more, the report that I just highlighted to you Recommended termination for the police chief. It says, and I quote, Detective Spivey states that one occasion, Miss Jordan came to his home at 4.30. And Detective Spivey, he was a detective at that time, told her if she ever came to his home again, 
he could get mad enough to shoot her. Once again, where's my source? Clayton County Police Department while he was a detective. Current and former police officers have all come forward connected to this police department. Spoke to us on the condition of anonymity. They say Chief Todd Spivey is protecting and promoting officers who hush corruption allegations. Indisputable submitted the report to the city on Wednesday. The report is public record and Riverdale administrators have not yet responded to the allegations against their own chief. Sources inside the department say city administrators have been aware of the report for years. They should have found the document when Spivey applied for detective. He left Clayton County after the report came out in 1996 and 2014, he was promoted to Riverdale chief. Now, since the mayor has decided to be non-responsive, since the city manager has decided to be non-responsive, the chief of police has decided to be non-responsive. As of about two hours before this show, the NAACP reached out to me. Here's what I'm going to say. I will have another update on this story next week. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we have a lot of show left. Let me remind everyone about the Carter Center Initiative for Safe Elections, all right? This is called the Principal Candidates of Trusted Elections, and it is something worth signing up for. If you're worried about the health of our democracy, there's a simple step you can take right now. I've taken that step, I work with the Carter Center, very proud of our work with that organization. The candidate principles for trusted elections, Real simple, these are five democratic ideals that all candidates should support regardless of political affiliation. Things like respecting the right to vote without intimidation, denouncing threats to election workers, and accepting certified election outcomes are part of it. Thousands of citizens across the political spectrum have signed on and demanded that their candidates do the same. When you add your voice, you join a network of defenders of democracy. You can add your voice at principledcandidates.org. That's principledcandidates.org. Sound of the day, we'll love for us to be on the same team with this, okay? All right, we got a lot of comments, let's get it. Connor says, happy Friday, Dr. Richie. I'm watching from the hospital with my wife and barely day old son, both sleeping. I hope he grows up with great role models like you. This is so amazing, thank you for that. And congratulations to the newborn and to you. Congratulations to the newborn because obviously the child has great parents because the parents watch Indisputable. Congratulations to you for having this amazing bundle of joy. I remember those days personally myself. And thank you for the role model compliment, but the reality is you're the biggest role model that child will ever have, all right? I appreciate your continued support. I am Sock says, if you steal money from a church, do you have to, <laughs> do you have to claim that as taxable illegal income? <laughs> I don't know. A very stable photographer says, these police have a funny way of simply asking questions. Good point. A warlock says, I'm at least pleased that other better officers agreed at all 
to talk off the record to Dr. Richie and his staff. Yes, many of them, many of them. We put out the call and we are receiving the answer. Yes, there are cops willing to tell us the truth. Pons Gavin, thanks so much for this. Doc, there's the police training being showcased yet again. Sadly, not the last time we'll see this kind of crap. I agree with you. Uh, Bernie the Kiwi Dragon, really appreciate Dr. Rich's activism. And I appreciate you because without you, there is no me. Without you, there's no us. Jonathan Filichino, I think, welcome to Disputable. Thank you so much. We appreciate your support. I apologize if I slaughtered the name. And let's go to Jeremiah underscore on underscore Twitch. Threats to kill himself over child support. Oh, the white victimhood is strong with this. Yeah. All right, got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. You just asked me what? Where's my handicap sticker? First of all, why does it matter to you? I'm not being rude. It's a handicap sticker. First of all, you don't know what my disability is, okay? You don't know what my disability is. So for you, so for you to question what my disability is, you are out of line. And you don't tell me that I don't have a sticker in my sticker on your car. Bring your come 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 close. Come on. Come on. Come close to my car. Bring your ass right here. And now apologize. Now apologize. No, no, you sorry for what? You're sorry for what? I don't have to. It's in my car. My damn business get my face. Get the out of my face. Get out of my face. Pizza. And man, you need to mind your business. You don't know what the my disability is. You mean people like me? No, don't walk up on me. You mean people like me? No, no, y'all were wrong. You were wrong. There's actually more. Here it is. I was just saying. You shouldn't have said. To me, you shouldn't have to me. That's the problem, man. Your business. I need it. Obviously, I parked there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to make y'all famous today. I'm going to make you famous today. I'm handicapped. You don't know what my disability is. I got the sticker for a reason. You don't know if I have seizures. What if I fall out before I get to the door? No, because you need to mind your business. Say something to them. Say something to them. No, I don't have to leave. I don't have to leave, and I'm gonna put y'all on TikTok and the news and everywhere else. Go ahead, cause you don't even know who I am. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm another what? I'm another what? I'm another what? 
got out. You with the wrong one. I am, actually. I am. Then walk up on my car, you knew better. Let me dissect this because I understand why she was upset. She had a right to be upset, okay? Now think about it. If this couple was authentically concerned about the plight of Americans or individuals with disabilities and somebody taking advantage of a parking spot that they should not have access to. As soon as it was discovered that they were wrong, what do you do? You apologize, you say, I am sorry, I was incorrect. And let's be clear, if the person was illegally parked and took a spot from somebody who actually does have a disability, I get it, I've approached people before, okay? My issue is not, in the initial inquiry, my issue is that it wasn't authentic because when you realize you were wrong, you did not simply do an about face, say, ma'am, I am so sorry, I made a mistake and walk on with your day. But no, you decided to continue to criticize her, even question if she had a disability after it was clear she has the sticker required to park exactly where she parked. Now this becomes clear to us, it was about something else. It was about putting somebody in their place. It was about showing your authority over somebody else. It was about having an altercation when one was not required. Because once again, if you are being an advocate for individuals with disabilities in America, you immediately apologize, realize the error of your ways, why? Because she's a person that you're supposed to be advocating for. She has a disability, a legitimate one. You don't have to know what it is in order to be an ally, if you were an ally at all. All right. Remember the Instagram model or whatever she was who killed her boyfriend was not arrested, did not get arrested, fans only, whatever she is, did not go to jail. There was an outcry for justice. We said, this is wrong, she needs to be arrested. She's all with self-defense. Now we have audio of her saying the N-word, being violent, being aggressive. Let's go to it, here it is. Don't touch me! What is going on? Like, what are you, are you gonna get this mad at me when I'm apologizing to you? No, Christian. But you're thinking I'm doing it on- Drop your ad, drop your high pitch. Okay, I'm not doing it on purpose. You touched all our ad, you know damn well the right thing to do is to tell me. Yes, and I am so sorry. So shut up and let me f***ing slap you, dumbass. No, you're not gonna slap me on- Give me my phone. You have your phone. I don't have it anymore. Find it and f***ing charge it. What? Fucking charge it! I mean, I'm sorry, Chris. I don't care. Find it and charge okay, it. Okay, just stop. Don't talk to me. Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, man. Because I'm telling you, I'm sorry. Hey, Find my phone and charge it. I don't know where your phone is. Find it. Can you help me find it? I won! So why? Find it! Why are you screaming, man? Not man, but why? Your man, your man, your man, your man, your 
I need to find it because I have to go meet her again. So to go out? No. You said she invites you. Bitch, just find my goddamn phone. I don't have your phone. Just can you just find my phone? Sissy, can you just please shut up? Please shut up. You want to go fucking talk to her? I want to talk. I didn't go to go. Yes, you did. You always want to. Yeah, Cordy, I was he on literally told me about it. Now he's like, damn. What are you doing? Yeah, I didn't go to talk to Aro. I was going on a bike ride. Wait, what the? Get f- off of me. I'm just going to talk to Aro. Is this going to make you act like this? The you literally talked to her without telling me. Courtney, I was on a bike ride and she passed me and I said hi. Uh, you and Courtney are having a, a live chat. My bad, I forgot to tell you that. That doesn't make you to act and call me a f- This recording happened just a few weeks before he was stabbed to death by that same woman. She repeatedly called him the N-word and insulted him continually. Obviously, you see clearly she was out of control. Let's put up the picture. I have to remind everyone, when she admitted to killing him, she was able to go home because she said, She said it was in self-defense, contrary to the physical evidence available to investigators at the time. Because we, and when I say we, I'm talking about all of us who said no way in the hell, this was self-defense. Because of advocates, because of others in the community who spoke up, because of our own friends that said, I'm friends with her, but what she's saying is not true about him. She was eventually arrested. Now, let me give you some more background to this. Let's put the picture back up again. Nigerian American Christian Obum Selly was 27 years of age, fatally stabbed by his partner, Courtney Clinney, 26. This happened in April. We reported on it when it happened. Multiple recorded sessions of his girlfriend's violent outburst were on his phone. It was on his phone. He knew something, he knew something. In addition, in addition to audio evidence, there was video evidence of abuse when footage from an elevator showed this same killer striking her partner a month before his murder. Here it is, okay, now remember, We got this information after, after it was concluded she was only engaging in self-defense. Look at this, look at this. Imagine if he would have done that to her. Imagine, imagine if it would have been his voice on the recording acting the way she behaved. Imagine the narrative against him. Imagine the way people would contextualize the events that happened to him. Once again, clearly showing the bias in our criminal justice systems and in how we contextualize things in media. There were many media pundits who accepted the initial report from law enforcement that this was in fact self-defense. 
without questioning the reality of the evidence. There's more. Um, Courtney, the model who committed the killing, was reportedly arrested following a domestic violence incident in Vegas in July of last year. Rundle said police had responded to numerous domestic disturbance complaints about the couple. And their buildings management was moving to evict them. An arrest report said prior incidents with the model being physically violent with the victim ultimately led to her arrest. The violent and toxic two year relationship of Christian Obum Selly and Courtney Clenny did not have to end in tragedy with Christian's murder as a victim of domestic violence, she added. Now, there's something very telling about the why here. Why is it that she got arrested? Well, they clearly say. The reason why she was arrested is because of the footage he recorded and the footage the elevator recorded. If it had not been for that information, for that data, she would likely still be a free individual, even though it was clear based on the evidence on the scene, her story did not align to what happened. There's more. She was arrested in Hawaii, remember this picture? All right, this picture went viral on suspicion of stabbing her boyfriend to death on April 3rd, police were called to the couple's apartment after Courtney allegedly stabbed him in the chest. Okay, let's go to the next picture. The lawyers also point to body cam footage from 48 hours before the death of her partner, showing him, showing how terrified Courtney was of her abusive boyfriend, calling him a stalker. In the video, she is pleading with law enforcement to protect her from him, claiming that even her mother was afraid to leave because of his aggressive and obsessive behavior. Later, she said she made up the whole damn story. She recanted. Now, what happened when she recanted the story? A lot of people said, "Oh, she she's saying it didn't happen because she's afraid." No one said she decided to recant because it was a lie. It was contrary to the facts. She had no evidence to support it because it never happened. They never gave the brother the benefit of the doubt and gave her more benefit than she deserved. Bias, narratives, prejudice, racism impacts our society in ways we have failed to truly comprehend. Her, uh, his autopsy report, let's go to the evidence. Evidence, okay? His autopsy report said the blade went three inches into his body and pierced a major artery. Courtney, the girlfriend, admitted to killing him, but said it was in self defense. She claimed he pushed her and threw her to the floor. So she grabbed a kitchen knife, threw it at him. Keep in mind, this was initial in the report. This was the initial report. Grabbed a kitchen knife, threw it at him from about 10 feet away. That's, that's how she killed him. She said, "Oh, I just picked up a kitchen knife, I threw it, it hit him. It went three inches into his body and he died. However, the autopsy report noted that the stab wound occurred from a, and I quote, is on the damn report, forceful downward thrust and was not caused by throwing a knife from that distance. Did that cause her to get arrested? No, 
Did the detectives say, whoa, wait a minute here. You mean to tell me you did what? And that happened? All right, fellas, open the shit case here. White woman in distress, black boyfriend, violent. Everybody gets to go home, including her. Racism, bigotry, bias, prejudice. Days after the murder, she was at a hotel bar doing this. I'll videotape her right now. She, yeah, you should go. Yeah, you should go because you just killed your boyfriend. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Do you remember how long it took for them to arrest her even after that incident? After she was obviously out celebrating days after killing her partner, it took them four months. Four months, they had all the evidence on day one. Her story did not match on day one. They had enough evidence to arrest her on day one, four months. Four months later, she was arrested, charged for murder. This came after friends and family of the victim revealed the history of abuse that she committed against him. And even when that truth came out, people said, "Oh, they were both violent against each other. Now you have more for the record. All right, we'll continue to give you updates as this story develops through trial. We have more on the other side is indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we have a lot of show left. Let me remind everyone of this amazing thing coming up next week. It's called midterms. Will Democrats take power or will Republicans take back control? I want you to join the team, you see them. Tuesday, November 8th, coverage starts at 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Pacific time. You can watch on tyt.com forward slash live, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Also, Samsung TV Plus, Roku, Zumo, Pluto TV, TCL, Fubo TV, and Locals Now. All right, we got a lot of comments, but I'm kind of pressed for time. Craig Cray Souffle, mind your own business is the best cure for Karens. Agreed. Arkane Juan Garcia, thank you for that. I was in USN when President Carter gave military the biggest pay raise we ever had during my 20 years. Love that gentleman and his wife. Um, Rosalind and um, President Carter are amazing people. Gucci Mane, just walk away clowns, you were wrong from the go. Exactly, I'm so sorry, move on with your life. Um, Goonidaly, thank you so much, she's a delicate flower. Talking about the killing, yeah. Uh, and Sweet Peas, remember for two months, thank you so much. The couple interjected themselves into her business and then wanted her to leave cuz they didn't like her response. Should have said she had Tourette's. <laughs> That's funny, I see what you did there. All right, why, why? American Legion members came dressed like this to a Halloween party, it's called blackface. No matter how many stories we do, no matter how many times, people get caught up in this madness, still individuals will attempt it. This went down in New York, the commander of the American Legion resigned after a Halloween party over the weekend included two people dressed in blackface costumes. 
This is the most egregious blackface photo. Let me remind everyone of why blackface is in fact offensive. During the mid 19th century, white performers would sometimes put black shoe polish on their face to exaggerate features and to suggest that black people were less than human. They would perform in ways that seemed animalistic and discuss through the art of theater how black people were inferior and they would call these minstrel shows. Remember black people when they were allowed to step foot on stages, they could not step foot on a stage with their natural black skin. They had to also put on blackface by mandate of the protocol because white audiences would be offended by their natural black complexion. All right, let's put it up again. There you have it, utterly insane. Now let's go to the leader, Post 556 hosted the Saturday Halloween party sponsored by the Carol Rod and Gun Club. Afterward, the club shared photos that show two people dressed in white clothing with red vests and hats and carrying prop lanterns. The two individuals also are seen wearing black gloves and black face coverings with enlarged lips and eyes. They're supposed to be lawn jockeys. Commander Jim Rossing of Samuel L. Derby post 556 stepped down on Tuesday. Rossing served only a little over a year. You know why you had to step down, sir? Because you lack leadership and integrity. Somebody comes to your American Legion Lodge dressed like this and you don't have the guts, you don't have the unction to say, take that off or turn around. We don't do that here. No, no, because y'all are buddies, right? Friends, it's okay, you understand. Well, now you've lost your job because you failed as a leader. The American Legion organization said, and I quote, there is no place in the American Legion family for racist activities or behavior. That's what they said, now, obviously that's not true, but that's the statement they released. They also said in a statement to the Post Journal, and I quote, the American Legion was outraged to learn that two individuals wore blackface during a Halloween event at one of our posts. The American Legion Department of New York conducted a full investigation. As a result of the investigation, it received the resignation of the post 556 commander the next day. He is also no longer a member of the American Legion. Good. Here's what we know about the costumed individuals. Not a whole lot, but we got a little bit. The two individuals were not members of the American Legion, but were with the sons of the American Legion. Members of the nonprofit organization include males whose parents or grandparents served in the US military and are eligible for American Legion membership. Though the two were not identified, the American Legion said they also have resigned this week. On Monday, on Monday, the Carol Rod and Gun Club, who sponsored this event, released a statement on their Facebook page. It says, We would like to acknowledge the controversy some people have taken over a recent Halloween costume party. We are a private club, which consists of 1,100 members of all ethnic groups, of which were in attendance that night. What? Wait a minute. 
I thought you all were going to say something that we gave a damn about. You stated facts of your membership. It is reported that the club later took down the Facebook page. Here is a photo of the history of the costumes worn by these racist individuals who mimic black lawn jockeys. This photo comes from the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia at Fair State University, who addressed statues that depict the the caricature in blackface wearing horse racing attire and holding a lamp or a kitchen ring. There you have it. Okay. I will film you back. Yeah, go ahead, film it back. Cause you the one that was trespassing. Ma'am. Cool, you got your phone, call 911. So so they know that it's her. Call 911, sure. Do it, this is. Yeah. This, you have a motion sensor that's designed to be painful. You have an object that's designed to be painful that goes off repeatedly when people walk by. It's really, oh my God, please. They move on your side. Next door. Okay, and, and you're the one trespassing on our when stuff. You, when your car you're going isn't over here. Car okay, isn't but is it bothering you right now? Is it bothering you right now? It is, indeed. Then go inside. Are you, you going to wait for the cops? I'll wait for the cops. The cops. We'll wait for I'll the cops. wait for the cops. If it bothers you, just walk away, just close your eyes. It's a bright light, it's not hurting anybody. And there's more from this, the the Karen and this person argue about property lines and they call the police, let's watch that. You think that, that this is trespassing, but you keep your car on the sidewalk in front of your garage. This is our garage, this is our we're property. This is our property, you cannot tell us where to park. Is not, this is yes, it is, this is, this is our property, this right here. This They keep the police in business. Is it a crime for your light to be touching the sidewalk? So the neighbor gives a little bit of backstory about this and this poster provides some backstory as well. Let's watch. Basically, um, if you've been watching the stories, there's been a lady that's been trespassing in the yard, um, taping up the rat sensors. So today while we were doing the trash, um, she came up to us and was just acting like she was begging and pleading for us to remove the sensors. So we called the cops because the last time we called the cops, they said that she's trespassing and she could be arrested. Literally, the cops came in like two seconds. While my sister was making the call, the first thing they asked was she's white. And that's the fastest that they even appeared. So the cops came, they didn't do anything. They pretty much said you can file a claim for harassment. Just going to keep documenting. File a claim for harassment. So they showed up, they saw what was going on. 
down and they were like, eh, maybe you can file a claim if she comes back. It's all on video, we saw what happened, clearly harassment. They were just trying to take the, the trash out at night. And what she says is the police came the fastest as soon as they found out she was white. We know that the police do not respond quickly to problems of crimes of, of black folks, if they are the victims, people of color who are the victims, working class people, poor people who are the victims of crimes because they exist to serve and protect white supremacy and property. It's very simple. There are infinite stories that demonstrate this, but we have to keep covering it because that's very clearly not observed by everybody. Jackson, what are your thoughts on the, the big light scandal? Well, she just has way too much time on her hands. She's quite bored because who has time for police unless absolutely necessary? She's like, I'll sit around, I'll chill till they get here. And she was totally confident in the whole thing. So unfortunately, sometimes we have to live next to very bored neighbors. And then the poor dog, he just wanted to go on a walk. He just wanted to have his time and he was barking the whole, that was, that was distracting me the, the, the whole time. But uh, you know, unless she causes like property damage or puts her hands on them or something like that, then they'll probably be able to do something more. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, they may have to just continue to deal with her. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Jackson, you're forgetting that the light hurt her. <laughs> yes, it did. It was designed for pain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> designed to hurt the neighbor's eyeballs. A crime, yeah. terrible crime in America. <laughs> We've got to crack down. We've got to be more tough on crime. Now, I've said this before, and I will say it again. Trump is going to run for president. He has now said it on the record. Here it is. In order to make our country successful and safe and glorious, I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? Very, very, very probably. Very, very, very probably. Oh, that's nice. Well, get ready. That's all I'm telling you very soon. Get ready. Get ready. All of the Democratic politicians and the headlines are saying things like, this is Trump's closest, closest indication that he's running for president in 2024. Damn it, he told you he's running. He said he's running. The only reason why he did not make it more conclusive is because of the deal he struck. To say, hey, I don't know yet, we gotta wait till after the midterms. That's basically the sentiment, okay? So he's not going to say it clearly before the midterms because of the political issue of running Trump inside of this election standard and possibly creating significant problems for the Republican Party. So there you have it. Now, there's another dynamic, DeSantis, or AKA DeSatan. He was likely going to be the challenger of Trump in a Republican primary. No more. Somehow they figured out how to stop DeSantis from running. Here it is. Trump told his supporters to get ready for his 2024 bid while campaigning for Republican candidates at a rally in Iowa. 
That was Thursday night. The former president teased his comeback after repeating false claims that the 2020 election had been rigged and stolen, wrongly insisting that he actually won the election twice. Now, according to four prominent Republicans, Governor DeSantis out of Florida appears to be reconsidering his plans to run. Sources told Vanity Fair, DeSantis recently indicated to donors, we're talking about big time donors, he would not challenge Trump for the Republican nomination. He's led them to believe he would not run if Trump does. A Republican briefed on the donor conversations told Vanity Fair. Why is that so important? Because typically a person like DeSantis, politicians that are executive level political figures, they will tell their top donors first because there's a significant amount of coordination with big money donors, their PACs and the actual campaign. So literally they are usually the first ones to know. Another source told Vanity Fair. The calculation is that at age 44, he can easily wait until the next presidential cycle. So why risk a brutal primary fight against someone like Trump? He can walk into the presidency in 2028 without pissing off Trump or Florida, the source says. Would you, what would you rather do? Be the governor of Florida for certain or go run for president? Question mark. DeSantis did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Um, so I made some predictions here. I predicted that Trump was under criminal investigation. A few weeks later, his property was raided uh, in Mar-a-Lago by the DOJ. I'm also predicting that Trump will be indicted. I think the indictment is weeks away, maybe months, definitely not years, all right? We will continue to bring you updates as they come. Okay, a suspect obviously complying with law enforcement, but this happened to him, here it is. screenshot that we have of this brutal assault. Phoenix officers brutalized a complying individual. His name is Harry Denman. Thursday, October 27th is when this went down. The 36 year old was arrested. Phoenix PD has now started a criminal investigation into the matter. 
The explicit video was shared Saturday on Facebook, but the department claims it, and I quote, acted immediately on Friday after learning about potential officer misconduct. The department said it learned on Friday of the officer's reported actions during the arrest and investigation was started. There is a criminal investigation in addition to an administrative one. The officers who have not yet been identified are on administrative leave. That means leave with pay. This is the newly installed police chief. Chief Michael Sullivan said in a statement and I quote, what is depicted in the video is not how we train and is not aligned with the core values of the Phoenix Police Department. Why not lock them up then chief? What you clearly saw was against the law, arrest them immediately. Make an example out of them like you would if the people who did that happened to be members of a gang. What transpired before the video according to police was this, based on a narrative, the individual who was assaulted pulled a handgun and fired two shots within close range of two officers. Patrol car as they were driving out of a parking space in a quick trip. A bullet struck the car's spotlight, piercing through the driver's side at head level while the other bullet hit the ground. Now I know many people are going to say, "Oh, well that's it, that's it, I don't care anymore. You got to. What you saw were police officers being criminals. What you saw, regardless of the prerequisite, was a man who was now complying. His hands were behind his back, he was on the ground, he was in the position to be arrested. The officers decided not to be professional, nor follow the law. You cannot be a law enforcement officer and not give a damn about the law you enforce. The officers had just talked with Denman. And they had told him they were leaving to respond to a call. Phoenix police said the situation escalated with Denman when Denman fled into the store with officers following him aside and a confrontation ensued before the arrest. An injured Denman was taken to a local hospital before he was booked into the county jail on multiple counts, including aggravated assault on an officer and resisting arrest. Denman has a status conference scheduled for Thursday and a prelim hearing set for Monday. The box indicating that the suspect was possibly mentally disturbed was checked on the arrest form. This is possibly a mental health issue. It's also worth noting that in August 2021, the US Department of Justice announced it was going to investigate the Phoenix Police Department, that same police department, partly due to allegations of excessive force like you just saw. The investigation will determine whether the Phoenix Police Department engages in a pattern of or practice of violations of the Constitution or federal law, according to the current US Attorney General. All right, we will continue to update that story as it develops. So sad. Listen, we got more on the other side. Bullpen is next, stick and stay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Michelle Smith, who is the Director of Community Engagement and Outreach for MADPMO. All right, we'll talk about that. Highlighting the reality of the death penalty in general and specifically Kevin Johnson, who is currently on death row and the latest attempts to try to grant clemency to him through advocacy. All right, Michelle, thank you for being on the show, how are you? I'm good, Dr. Richie, thank you for having me today. Absolutely, let's talk about the reality of how ineffective the death penalty is in general. Then we'll get into this specific case. Obviously, I've done 
many studies that show clearly the death penalty does not stop, nor does it decrease capital offenses in a state. As a matter of fact, the states with the lowest capital offenses actually do not have a death penalty at all. So it does not do that. The government has engaged in state sponsored murder when they say yes to executing an individual as punishment for a crime. Initially, the proclamation from lawmakers was, well, this would deter criminal activity, but it does not based on the data. So let's talk about your abolitionist platform as it relates to incarceration and the death penalty. Well, thank you so much. And all of that you said is definitely true. What we know is that the current system of capital punishment is a regurgitation of racial terror lynching. And I always start with that as a foundation because even when we say they decide that you know this is the best punishment for certain crimes, they've decided this because historically this country practiced these horrible acts. And so I am here to you know push the narrative that we are beyond being inhumane and atrocious. Or at least we should be, I'll say that. We should be beyond this in this day and age. And like you said, capital punishment does not fix anything, does not stop anything. And those states that have capital punishment do have more crime and more violence. So it actually has the opposite effect. Your work with Missourians for alternatives to the death penalty has been well noted. Let's talk specifically about Mr. Kevin Johnson, who's currently on death row. Tell us about his plight and why there's a push for clemency for this young man. Well, Kevin Johnson is a victim of all of those horrible occurrences that a child could experience. And this is what it has culminated to. Kevin was 19 years old in 2005, and he committed a horrible act, he did. He killed a policeman, but the circumstances and conditions from the day that he was born up until that day should matter more than what they do currently. And that is you know, foundation of what, why I'm trying to advocate for Kevin is because our system fails children, especially black children, especially poor children, our system fails them every single day, yet later on they are to be held accountable when no one was held accountable for you know supporting them, helping them to get through very hard times. And that was very much what Kevin experienced. He was born to a mother who was you know had a drug addiction. His father was incarcerated and he was born into a very chaotic and unstable life. It was mired with abuse and neglect. Um, even those people like the school that should have helped him, they really did not. And so Kevin just suffered a tremendous um, abuse, like I said, abuse of uh, violence in his entire life, which led up to those um, actions that he took on July 5th, 2005, again at 19 years old. That's still a child, that's a baby. And so um, studies have shown that people's brains don't even develop until they're about 25 years old. So to want to hold a 19 year old accountable for a horrible mistake is something that happened as a result of not caring about him his entire life. That is definitely something we are against and that's why we're calling for clemency, which means converting his sentence from death sentence to life imprisonment currently. I wanted you to make that point, I'm glad you did. Because the advocacy is actually not for release. The advocacy right now is for conversion of the death penalty, which is final. You don't get more final than death on this plane. The death penalty to be converted 
to life in prison. And here's the reality, uh, many individuals who have um, killed someone, they have life. They did not get the death penalty, even in premeditation, many of them have life. They do not have a death penalty affixed to the conviction of that crime. Why do you think at 19 with all of the other variables that typically go into effect as it relates to if someone gets the death penalty, why do you think the 19 year old Kevin Johnson received the harshest punishment allowable under the law for the crime? Well, you know, there are simply a couple of factors. Number one, he was a poor black child. And number two, there was a prosecution that was racially motivated. Um, the, the second factor is the most important. Um, our prosecutor at the time, Robert McCullough, who also is the person responsible for not seeking a, seeking a charge against the person who killed Mike Brown Jr. This same prosecutor when Kevin was 19 felt like he deserved to die for um, killing this policeman. There was no um, mitigation that was enough for him. There was no compassion, there was no empathy to Kevin's life. He had a mission and he accomplished that mission. Now the first time he tried to do this, the first trial, it didn't happen. But the second trial, he made sure he got an all white jury. And we know that all white juries, what they do to young black men, right? So he got an all white jury and he made sure that Kevin's life in a situation that led up to that day were kept out of the courtroom. And in that second um, trial, he did get the sentence he was looking for which was a death sentence. I wanna make sure I humanize this for everybody who's watching. And I'm going to place personal perspective into the conversation. When I was 17 years of age, as a young juvenile delinquent who was a foster kid, I got into trouble. I was a member of a gang. I got arrested at 17. I assumed I was going to the juvenile detention that I had been to many times before. And the police officer informed me that Georgia had just changed the law. And that every single 17 year old was now an adult in the state of Georgia for criminal prosecution purposes only. You are not an adult in any other context, but if you were arrested by police, right? So he takes me to real jail this time and I'm being prosecuted under a felony statute. I was facing 22 years in prison. The DA of the county, DeKalb County, Georgia, J. Tom Morgan, who was progressive on criminal matters as it relates to prosecution. He was more of a reformist. He didn't like the state law. So he created a policy in his office that said if any 17 year old gets arrested in my county, they're gonna get something called the First Offenders Act with no felony conviction on their record. Now remember, the reason why the law was created was to make sure they could throw young black men away for years without having to be thoughtful about our socioeconomic reality. That one DA made a difference, changed the policy. And today as a black male in my forties, I'm felony free because of that one DA transforming a policy. So this is a policy issue. And obviously bias has created statute, has created laws that are adversarial to those who have not typically had power historically. So as it stands right now, as it stands right now, what has the support looked like in order to transform this sentence from death penalty to life in prison? Well, currently, Dr. Ritchie, we are trying to educate the public on death row, death penalty, and also specifically Kevin's case. 
Um, people don't understand what the death penalty is. You know, they understand revenge, but they don't understand how it does not work and it's arbitrarily applied. So my job is to educate people on that overall, bring Kevin's humanity into the situation, uh, which circles around his little brother. Not only did Ke was Kevin 19 years old at the moment, two hours before he had watched the police be negligent in his little brother's death. And that is actually what uh, uh, you know brought Kevin over that line uh, mentally to, in his grief and trauma. And in that moment, you know, who's watching their 12-year-old brother die and not feeling some rage and some some poor decision making, I'll say. And so I really try to educate people on those factors that led to what happened with Kevin. And once I once I'm able to do that and really push forward, you know, his humanity and what happened, people are more inclined to support us. So we have a um, advocacy effort right now where people are calling our governor, writing letters, emails. Um, we're also having different events where the public are coming out to support us. So this is all about humanizing Kevin and pleading with the governor of Missouri, Mr. Mike Parson, to grant him clemency. What kind of person is Kevin? Um, Kevin is a really intelligent young man. He's a prolific writer. He's actually written two books and working on a third. Um, he's also a grandfather and a father. Uh, his uh, grandson is a little over a month old right now. And he's been an amazing dad, even from prison um, to his daughter who is 19. And interestingly enough, she's at the age right now where he was when he committed this crime. Mm. And he has been you know, a present and active father in her life. He makes sure to keep connections with her. Um, he's also a very soft-spoken person. He's also um, quiet. All of his teachers said he was very quiet in school, but you know something happened that that made him, you know, basically snap is is the word that I used. But he's a great person, and he does deserve this clemency because he's kept so many people both inside and outside of prison. Michelle, we have less than a minute left. For those who are watching this, how can they connect with you or your organization, provide support if they choose to? We are asking people to sign his petition and to learn more. And you can do that on our website, which is madpmo.org. And on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we are at madpmo. So please follow our work. Uh, all of the videos, petitions, everything that you can use to help Kevin is on all of those places. Michelle, thank you for your advocacy and your continued leadership. We know that generally it's a bad policy. Um, I support you, you have an open opportunity to come back anytime. Thank you. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.